Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. Big trouble with small sensors, photo GPS data as a treasure map to your goodies, and the return of guest host Nicole Young. It's Saturday, October 16th, 2010, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Miss Nicole Young. Hey, Nicole, welcome back. Hey, Frederick. Good to have you back. Good to hear your voice. And also, from last week, Ron Brinkman. Two weeks in a row. It's like the good old days. Two weeks in a row. What's going on? Uh, Since we last talked. Yeah, since we left, <laughs> you got up, you took a shower, you know. Went, yeah, well, just one. Just one. It was yeah, it was shower week last week, right? <laughs> it was. This week I'm taking a break from that stuff. Awesome. Well, it was good to hear you again and Nicole, it's really good to have you back on again. It's Thanks. we we have to we have to increase your frequency. You yeah, know? definitely. It's, it's 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 too too much time passes between your appearances on the show. So, uh what have you been up to like since the last time we spoke to you? Um I can't remember when the last time I was on. See? Uh, so, yeah, it's too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm writing another book. It's uh, the, another one of the Snapshots to Great Shots series with the 60D. Love that series. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I'm doing some work for NAP, the National Association of Photoshop Professionals. So. Ooh, are you, gonna, are you doing a, a show for Kelby Training? No, I'm a, I'm a help desk person. Oh, awesome. So people who are Photoshop, you know, Photoshop user members. They can go to the ask a question about Photoshop, and uh, I'm one of the people that helps answer questions. So. Ooh, so they could roll the lottery. They could roll the dice, and they might get you on the phone? I, it's pretty good. I mean, there's only a couple of us, so you have pretty good odds of getting me. So That's really, yeah. really cool. It's not, you know, it's not a phone thing. It's just email. It's, it's okay, like, got it, got it. So your first your first uh, book, was, uh, for the first Snapshot to Great Shots book was, what, the 70, right? Yeah, that's right. And how's that one going? As far as I know, it's going well. I've heard some good things about it. Um, Are people actually buying the 70? No. <laughs> it's a good camera. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to start the hate mail. I know people People love that camera. It's like the affordable 5D, right? It yeah. Is. Yeah. Well, kind of. It's. I mean, it's, I kind of see it as the crop sensor version of the 5D. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities and there's differences. Like, 5D's a great camera, too. I, the, the way I look at it is like the using... You know, just comparing Nikon to Canon, the 5D is kind of like the D700, and the the uh, what is it? The 7D is more like the D7000. You know, yep. kind of like a, a shrunken down crop sensor. Even those crop sensors are going away, but you know, the crop <laughs> <laughs> the crop sensor version that's much more affordable. I don't know what's going to be paying me money. Not, on that bet, mister. I don't. I don't know much about the seven thousand. That's a new one, right? That just—it's brand new. Yeah, brand new. it's coming out anytime that's now. Soon as soon soon as it hits, soon as it hits the uh, the Amazon it's, or the uh, the B and H, it's going to be on my desk. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty sweet looking. So, Ron, Ron, about that uh, about that the, the crop sensor thing. You and I, I got our a, bet. We got an email this week. <laughs> We did from from a Twip listener uh, poor, by the name of Jesse that, that Frederick frightened to death. <laughs> you you read the email. You should read. Pull up that email thread. You got to read that. I don't have email in front of me. Let me see. Let me find it. Let's see. Ron Brinkman hate mail. Quite big. It's week. in my hate mail folder. Here Thank it is. You. Okay. Last week we we alluded to the statement that Frederick had made at some point back that crop sensor cameras were going to go away, which I of course take issue with saying that I think they're going to be here for an awful long time. 
Yeah, I, I believe we have a little. That, yeah. Can I can I read this thread? I got to oh, read this thread. Sure. The thread must be read. Okay, it's from Jesse Peters, uh, and Jesse says, "Hey, were you and Ron kidding about the crop sensors? I'm on the verge of buying a 7D, and now I'm afraid. I need the high frames per second for for my work, and the only full frames with greater than three frames per second cost a lot of money. I would love a 5D Mark II, but it's not practical for 80 percent of the sports shooting. Love the show." Uh, so Ron responds, <laughs> Ron responds, Frederick and I made an on the air bet a while back on this. He claims crop sensor cameras will disappear in the near future. I claim that he's smoking crack <laughs> <laughs> and not good crack, bad crack diluted with rat poison or something. <laughs> So, is there such a thing as good crack? I, apparently, Ron Brinkman shops in the premium crack store. <laughs> so uh, he says, "So you're going to have to make a decision. Do you trust crack smoking Johnson or clean living Brinkman?" Seriously, though, I can't imagine they'll be disappearing within the near term. Really, you should buy the camera that you need now and, and worry about what may happen in the next few years with the speed of which things are moving. The body will be obsolete in three to four years anyway. And you can always sell the lenses on eBay if you decide to move to a full frame solution then, which is good. Uh, so my response to that was, <laughs> uh, I never said near future. I believe the bet was they'd be gone by 2015 and they will be, but I agree, Jesse, buy what you can, buy what you can now, then sell and upgrade later. And well, clean living Brinkman, ha ha ha, <laughs> thought they were calling you Ron Winehouse for a bit, no? <laughs> I'm going to rehab. And then I linked to the Amy Winehouse video. <laughs> so, 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 Nicole. Yes. Wait, wait in on this topic. Not, All right. Not, not the crack versus bad crack. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll stay away <laughs> yeah. from the crack right now. Uh, buy the 7D. If you want the 7D, buy it. What I do is I don't buy crop lenses. I just buy full-frame lenses because in three or four years, I probably won't even have my 7D or it'll be like my third or fourth backup camera because I'll probably upgrade to another one by then. And I'll still have all the lenses I use now are going to be okay when I upgrade to a full frame because I don't have any crop sensor yep. lenses. That's, That's my argument. Yeah. That, that, future proof. You're future proofing yourself. I mean, to kind of get in, I don't think that, in my opinion, that crop sensor cameras are going to go away because I know that there's a lot of people <sighs> who use them for like the, for the crop factor you know there's people who do exactly. uh, this and, and this guy in like particular that. he said you know he followed up with you know as a sports shooter yeah. uh, he liked having the, the crop sensor i'm sticking to my guns <laughs> i'm sticking to yeah. my guns crop frame sensors are were a stop gap until we got to the full frames I, and now they're so here. totally full wrong frames. now that, um, now that they're here uh it's just a matter of time for the prices to come down and just you know there yeah, will I'm always be you. reasons to have a smaller form factor camera that's just something guys with small sensors say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bob. I, I, I had to put that in there. Thank you. Oh, yes. Crack and small sensors. We now have our title. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's it. Smoking crack. And no, small I, sensors. I don't. I you know. I just can't. I can't see them going away because I think there's plenty of reasons to have a smaller sensor. The technology continues to get better, so that, that small yeah. sensor has has very good quality. I mean, you know, you you can. Where do you draw the line if you're saying a bigger sensor is better? Why why aren't you shooting medium format then? Well, that's different. That's, that's completely different. different. It's not. It's a continuum. It's a different level, yeah. It's like just levels of... What, what, what if somebody comes up with uh, a, a camera that is halfway between you know, the really medium format that we have now and, but is larger than the 35mm size? Mm. Would, you, would, you, would you suddenly say that your, your camera is now an inferior device? Yes. Would you? <laughs> I would, I would, because you're you're thinking you're you're thinking very one dimensionally. See, uh, think in terms of technology is always advancing. You know, back when you know you're you're one of the people, Ron, that would have said with film, films around. You're like, film, it's not going away. We got all the quality we need no, from this. It's digital that, stuff. You know, that guy. things or horse and buggy. Who needs these automobile uh, things? See, I, I would claim you're <laughs> being the luddite by by thinking that large sensor uh, is some. You know, no, I'm not being a luddite. I'm just saying things are moving forward, and it's a yeah. win- it's a window that the small, old things better. will go away. The, the small the smaller things will go away and become less significant, and we'll focus on the higher quality things. And the, when the masses focus or focus on the higher quality things, the price will come down, and they'll become the norm. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't know, but like, look at technology. Technology gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Maybe they'll get to a point where a crop sensor, the quality is going to be just as good as a full frame, but you get the crop factor. Yeah, if anything, I think that full-size cameras are going to go away. 
I think this. Uh, I agree know, this, with that. Yeah, this we'll just be of, walking around with sensors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> so right. I think you know this whole full frame. You know, the, the, the large camera is going to become increasingly rare as these smaller cameras get get more and more quality. But you can't have a smaller camera without shrinking the sensor. And well, you know, five, five years from now, or even three years from now, as we've already seen, you know, this, these crop format sensors are going to be better quality than what your current full frame sensor is. I'm a I'm a complete hypocrite I know because I'm buying one of those uh, yeah. as soon as it hits the market but you know there's reasons behind that hang on a second guys I'm gonna give a quick nod to our sponsor uh, today we're brought to you or this week in photos brought to you by audible.com they're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks they've got more than seventy five thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature featuring audio versions of many of those New York Times bestsellers. And as a special thing for listeners of this podcast, they're going to offer a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service and, um, you know, play around with it, kick the tires and see if you like it. You guys, uh, Ron, you're, I know you're listening to stuff, right? Or, or are you? Yes, to, to, to audio stuff? Yeah, like yes. to audio books and audible type stuff. Absolutely. Other than, other than podcasts. What are you listening to right now? Uh, I just finished doing the whole Girl with a Dragon Tattoo mm. series. Which is a total, can you characterize page turner for something you're listening to? But uh, they're, they're very, very gripping. They're perfect exercise kind of things. You're like, oh, I want to go for a bike ride now just to find out what happens next. Yeah. And what's the, what's the premise of that book? Uh, well, they're sort of murder mystery kind of thrillers uh, uh, set in Sweden. And, uh, but just some very engaging characters and uh, just very fun, fun reads. And obviously, you know, they're, they're huge right now. They're incredibly popular. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, I would totally you know even if you just just read slash listen to the first one it's fairly quick uh, and like I said just really engaging it's like you know, the time just flies while you're listening to it because you're really into this world. So the I, I take it the narrator's voice is acceptable because that's that's the killer for me. It's got to be. I'm so glad they have the previews so you can yeah. listen to these things because if the narrator's voice gets under my fingernails, then I can't listen to three, four, five hours of it. Yeah, no, that's the. It's a good narrator. Does you know the best narrators on on these nonfiction books are uh, the ones that can sort of do multiple voices without sounding like they're doing wacky voices. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know just just introduce a little bit of subtlety in terms of. Uh, putting some kind of an accent. It's an interesting sort of a thing when you're listening to a book that is set throughout uh, Sweden where you know you sort of have to come up with accents that are not just all Swedish mm-hmm. uh, and sort of distinguish these characters. And so, you know, you kind of hear the accents ranging from Irish to Scottish, I think, you know, as, since everybody is, of course, speaking English, even though originally the book was written in Swedish. I gotta put, uh, yes, I'm going to put that on my list. I'm uh, you should. It's, it's, just, it's just one of those where... Uh, a very engaging uh, thriller kind of a book. It's not, you know, not extraordinarily thought provoking. I wouldn't say, but it's also quite good. And Nicole, are you uh, are you listening to anything in particular at the moment, or just you know, I, podcasts? I haven't. I do mostly podcasts. I I read. I have a Kindle, so I just do my reading on a Kindle. Okay, <laughs> so, got it. Cool. Yeah, old fashioned. I remember that. I remember reading like that. You know, <laughs> it's funny <laughs> though. You know, I say that, but uh, I'm saying that tongue in cheek because. I I have the Kindle app on the iPod and I on the iPad rather and I you know I I it depends on what I'm consuming whether I want to listen to it passively through audio or if I want to actively read it. So, you know, it's not like it's one or the other for me. I, what about you, Ron? Are you do you feel like you have to listen to things now? Have you transitioned into only audio? Oh, no, no. I read I read tons. And it's not uncommon for me to uh, – in fact, I think the third book of this one, I you know, I finished up the bike ride and I had a little bit more to go till the end of the book. And I wanted to find out what it was and I actually have the, the paper copy as well. So I read the last uh, bit of it where I can you know really power through it because I'm probably a faster reader than I am a listener. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although, I, I, you know, honestly, I listen to all of my audiobooks at the 2x speed now. Oh, really? I don't know if you've tried that, but yeah. I haven't a, tried. I know you can do it. I haven't tried it yet. Totally. Just like podcasts, too. I listen to everything at double speed. Now, do yeah. they do some sort of tech, some audio magic in there so people don't sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks? Yeah, yeah. No, just, I mean, just, it's all on your, your iPhone. We'll play back either podcasts or uh, audiobooks at uh, double speed. It's just a setting. Wow. And uh, yeah, they pitch adjust it, so it's not bad. But, and, and, you know, when you first listen to it, it, it feels a little overwhelming, but it doesn't take very long until you're like, oh, this is fine. And, and very often, I will not be able to tell if it's playing at double speed or not. I'll be just like, wait, is this double speed or is this just the Oh, it's cool. 
It's like yeah, how they so. make those like ads, you know, and people have to cram like 50 lines of words at the end of a radio commercial. Yeah. But it's surprising to me how well your brain, your brain immediately adapts to it and, and you're just, you know, it's normal. I will definitely try that. Yeah, and then some of these audiobooks where you're like, oh my god, you know, it's a 40-hour audiobook. It becomes a little bit more manageable at 20 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, the book I'm listening to right now is called The Myth of Multitasking by uh, Dave Crenshaw. And it's uh, basically the premise of the book. It's not that long. I think it's like an, like maybe two and a half, three hours long. But the uh, the premise of the book is multitasking is impossible because your brain can only do one task at a time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can do many tasks in rapid succession, but you're only doing one thing at a time. And he sort of goes into how to, once you realize that, how to manage your time and, and get away from the idea that, hey, I'm an expert multitasker. And, well, I can- and the fact that, I, I read some excerpts from this too, the fact that people think that they are being more efficient by multitasking, mm-hmm. but they're just doing a, a lot of things simultaneously poorly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like instead of multitasking, it's half-ass tasking. So, <laughs> so it's actually a really good book. I would I would recommend it. It's um, The Myth of Multitasking by Dave Crenshaw. All right. If uh, listeners, if you'd like to get a book um, or get an audio book of your choice, head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. All right, guys, just to close off the discussion before we uh, before we were talking about audio, Audible the, on the crop frame censored things. So, Ron, from your since you literally wrote the book on digital compositing or composting is the title of it. Um, the the idea of like Nicole kind of foreshadowed earlier that that technology may you know may obviate the necessity to have the larger sensor in there. Is yep. that even possible? Just considering you know just optics and light you know there's in yeah. physics there's, a, there's there, yeah there, it is possible there's room to for growth in there yeah there is. we keep you keep hearing you know most recently there was the backlit uh cmos sensors where they changed the technology and the way of light gathering i mean sure you you are limited to the number of photons that are being put out but there's all kinds of issues and there's also the other thing that's sort of uh affecting a lot of this is the issue of noise and, and the low part of the issue is you want bigger sensors so that the noise that's in the electrical signal uh, doesn't show up as noise in the image, and there's there's a lot of room for improvement there too. So I think we've got a lot of a lot of room for this to continue to grow. Yeah, and that's I mean, not even that's not even counting major breakthroughs in the way some of this technology works. You know, there could easily be something that comes along next week that you know throws a complete monkey wrench into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's some announcements scheduled to come out next week, so you never know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Um, so, guys, let's let's jump into the news now. This first story is about um, the GPS and how digital photos or some cameras embed GPS data in the digital photos, um, and specifically how it. If I'm reading this right, some people may not know that when they take pictures of certain things, that the the image is going to tattletale where that image where it was taken, and they upload it to Flickr. Now everyone knows where that beautiful photo of your diamond necklace lives. Kind of thing. Yes, uh, <laughs> Ron, I went through it to you first. I mean, well, it's, I it's hadn't thought point, about. You know? I had not. I totally had not thought about this. I've only thought about this from the standpoint of, yeah, of course, everything should be geotagged because I want to see where it was on the map, but not from a nefarious standpoint of somebody can use it as a treasure map. Right. I, I, it's it's a good point, and actually, I hadn't really thought it through. I mean. You know, you're sort of everybody. I think is sort of aware that you take a picture with your iPhone and it's uh, it's geotagged, uh, and you toss it up on you know even on on uh, Twitter. I just, I don't know if you know some of these services. So the bottom line is some of these services will strip out the EXIF data, which includes the geotag information, but some won't. And uh, you know if you just take a quick picture in your living room or out your front door uh, and upload that, you very very well may have just told everybody where your address is. You know where you live. Um, so it is something that I think people need to be aware of, and, and probably a lot of people, even if they are aware that this capability is there, don't really think about it uh, when they do this. And I suspect that uh, as, as people kind of realize that there's going to be a demand for a really quick button to press that says, you know, strip, the, strip the, the tag data off of this or put me in a mode where it requests yes or no, you know, do you want to leave the GPS data on it? Because yeah. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a valid point, you know, it's... Uh, it's nothing new in the sense that this has been done for a while now. All these cameras that can t- 
tag the data, but I think people aren't really thinking through all the ramifications of it. Yeah, Nicole, what do you, what do you think about that? Are you are you okay with taking photos around your house there and and having people know where they were taken? I pretty much turn off all of, the, of those tagging features on my iPhone. Um, just, I mean, maybe because I'm a woman, you know, I'm single. I, I think about stuff like that, you yeah. know, like not like I'm worried about people stalking me, but it's always, you know, that's always that's possibility for anyone. And I don't always want people to know exactly where I am at all, you know, when I twit pick something and if it even goes up there. But um, I don't know. I'm just kind of extra precautious about that. But it really just takes, you know, whatever it says, hey, do you want to? And I, I don't even read it. I just click no. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Yeah. The I iPhone think, pops up that warning that yeah. says, uh, you know, would you like to use your current location? And if you're taking a picture and it's, you know, somewhere around your home or wherever or your treasure chest, um, you probably want to turn that off. Yeah. Now, Nicole, what about what about iStock? You know, I, it's, as we said on the show before, you are an, an avid contributor to iStock, uh, and you do a lot of work for them. What is their policy with regard to GPS information in the EXIF data? Uh, it's my understanding, and I, I'm not 100% on this, but I think they strip most of the metadata that goes through. Uh, you know, when I upload a photo to iStock, then I don't think it's actually there. So, but I'm not sure because I've never purchased one of my photos to check it and see if any of that stuff's there. But, the, you know, I don't have a GPS yet for most of the stuff I shoot. You know, I'm not going to be using iPhone photos for iStock. I'm going to be using my SLR. And you have to have extra stuff added to that, you know, to actually make the GPS, uh, lo- you know, position your location or whatever on a map. Um, so it's not really an issue. I mean, if I if I photograph something like in Moab, you know, I'm going to just write in the keywords or say this is whatever in moab you know in utah or whatever city or whatever and uh so so gps tagging is not a is not a a purchase motivator for you in terms of like a new camera that comes out it's like oh now it has built-in gps and it's going to tag everything you would you would disable that for me it's because of what i shoot it's not i don't i don't ever see myself wanting to go out and actually spend money on one but i you know there's there's gonna be photographers like say landscape nature uh, any, you know, any, anything like that where somebody goes out and is scouting a location, I could see that really, really useful. You know, you're going to want to take a picture and then it locates it. Then you go back and you say, Ooh, I really like that spot. Where was that? Let me plug that into my GPS and go back there. So, yeah. but for me, no, I, I photograph people, food, stock, you know, stuff like that. And it's, I don't need to know where it was taken. No, <laughs> it's usually Ron, my studio. So. Ron does. Ron, now you're, you're always in some weird, yeah, I, weird corner of the planet and you want to know exactly where you were, right? Yeah, I, w- I would love for these. I'm surprised actually that most of these newer cameras uh, haven't adopted some kind of a GPS chipset on them more than they have. I mean, you can get point and shoots, but you look at some of the, it's like a lot of these camera vendors seem to think that, okay, we're going to put either GPS or better low light or what you know. They're, they're, they tend not to put everything into it. And I really wish some of these high end point and shoots that I'm looking at, the latest generations of Nikon's and Canons and Panasonics, um, none of the ones that I consider sort of the best image quality, the ones that can shoot raw, also have GPS built into them. They have other models that have GPS built in, but they're inferior in other ways. And for me, yeah, I, I would find that extremely useful to sort of know exactly where it was taken because I find it useful when I go on to Flickr and if I'm going to be going somewhere it's fun to kind of look at other pictures that were taken in that area too not just not just to get ideas for photos but to get ideas for interesting things to visit yeah well, it's fun but it's like it's it seems like it's just left of being completely useful for the majority of the population i mean i i'd want it of course i i would love to have it for me nicole i mean you know if i'm just roaming around san francisco or something taking pictures it seems like it's a novelty to say oh look at it it's on a map you know uh but then have you ever i mean have you ever like gone through old photos uh that you find in a drawer and you know, wishing, I wish I knew where that was taken. Yes, you know, all the time. I mean, a lot of times I'll, I'll go through photos and, you know, there'll be a, a date stamp on the back when it was developed or even burned in, you know, some cameras would do that. And and it's really neat if it's 20 years later and you can actually think back to when it was and it'd be yeah. nice to be able to think back to where it was. Yeah. yeah I, I'm kind of curious to see how long my memory lasts because I can go back to like the last five or even 10 years of photos and almost know exactly where everything was taken yeah, yeah. the problem so, is the problem is things get uploaded online though just like this article yeah. is saying it's great to have that for for your your occasional 10 year down the road stroll down memory lane but mm-hmm. a lot of these photos that were taken are going to get uploaded to Flickr and smug mug and wherever else 
and they're tagged. You know, and do you yeah, want? Think, do you, that's that's just, your personal information. Do you want the world knowing that this that's was the taken? Distinction, but that's exactly the distinction. It's like I would like to have as much information as possible available to me, and then the question of how much I choose to share is a separate issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's the thing I want to make sure I have control over. If they could make it like generalized, like if I take a photo with my iPhone and it says I'm in the Salt Lake Valley, Utah, you know, that would be fine with me. You know, I don't people know I live out here. I don't want it to pinpoint exact, you know, the exact coordinates of where I'm standing when I take that picture. But if if there was a way and I don't understand GPS enough, but if they could do that, I'd turn it on all the time, you know, and then I would still be able to look back at those photos like you were saying and say, oh, that was photographed when I was in Utah. Oh, that was photographed when I was here or there or whatever. So. Yeah, they, here's another spin on this. And I'm, I'm reading from a, an article from CNN Tech. It's talking about this issue. And it says, uh, Thomas Hawk, which is a guy who we're going to have on the show soon, hopefully. Um, it says, Thomas Hawk, an active Flickr user and the former CEO of competing photo site Zoomer, said EXIF is an important part of his archival process, but he has also used that data to track down someone who was harassing him online and managed to coerce an apology, he said. So, so that's some deep stuff right there. <laughs> to like, okay, I'm going to do some reverse CSI on this photo to find that guy and, you know, it, do whatever I want. You know, I mean, Nicole, that kind of goes to what you were saying about being mm-hmm. a woman and like having somebody say, oh, Nicole, uh, that's her car. You know, mm-hmm. let me let me track that down. Uh, you think that's so putting a fine point on it. Do you think that is the right way to be using this data? I mean, there's no way you can, uh, no. you can, you can, you can stop it, but it's, it's within someone's right to, to use that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I also think, you know, kind of going back to that, it's, it's, if somebody really wanted to know where somebody lived, it wouldn't be that hard. You know, if you're going by an alias, like it's my understanding that Thomas Hawk, it's not his real name. And, uh, he's, so people could find out who he really is, you yeah. know, but, uh, my, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't hide who I am or whatever. So if people really wanted to figure out where I live then they could, but, um, I don't know. I guess I'm just over, over cautious and I don't think it hurts to be because I don't think people need to know. Yeah. Usually if I'm somewhere, I'm going to say, Hey, look at this picture I took at the sushi place in, you know, Utah somewhere or whatever. And, you know, I'm not hiding anything. It's yeah. Just, Cause they could, they could pull up those GPS coordinates, punch them into Google maps and then yeah. look, look at your backyard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so like, hey, Nicole, you need to uh, cut your lawn. <laughs> and something maybe that we should mention to the viewers. If, if you're not, uh, if you use Flickr, cause that's the, I think one of the big sites, I think that a lot of people are going to be putting their photos to, you can actually go in and hide your eggs of data if you want to. And I think I'm, I'm going to guess that that's going to hide the, uh, GPS stuff too, which I don't, I have it set to where people can see if you hide it, then it hides everything. It hides all your, you know, metadata and all that stuff. So, yeah. but if you want to do that, it's, it's, you can do it. Yeah. I, th- I think it really is more a matter of, uh, there probably is a gap between the, uh, the tools that are available for managing your personal data and what people really want. And I think that's, that's where things just need to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it looks like on the Apple side with Aperture, they are embracing GPS location data and making it easy to just drop a pin on a map yep. and, and find yourself or find where the photos were taken. You click on a pin, it shows you all the photos that were taken around that pin, which is a brilliant execution of that. On the Lightroom side, not so much. They're like, it looks like they're taking the standpoint of we'll wait and see if people actually use that feature and then we'll maybe implement something. So I don't know. It's... It, if you if you're a Lightroom user and you want to use this stuff, or you want to you want to pinpoint your 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 data on a map, you have to go through a couple of different steps, which I think are outlined. Well, I'm sure they're outlined online somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it, but there's a there's a couple of different applications, whether you're on the Mac or the or Windows, that you can download that will uh, tell you the steps for. Okay, download this. Um, it will match up the 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 time and the location data together, and then you know put it all up online so yeah the, the cool thing that aperture does is that uh if you take some photos with your iphone which will get you the location data while you're taking photos with your dslr that doesn't have any of this sort of thing then it will just be smart about trying to guess okay these were all taken around the same time period so i presumably can sort of loosely tag the dslr photos with the same location that the iphone was taking so i find myself when i'm traveling you know, occasionally just just pulling out the iPhone and snapping a shot here and there, even if they're not great pictures, just to sort of put a stake in the ground for the location. 
Yeah. You know what's interesting about just the the last thing on the, the evolution of that particular technology, the GPS technology, is that I think it was Tristan Hall who was on the, on the show a couple of weeks ago was talking about the Sony. And it's it, I may be wrong, but I think he was saying the implementation of GPS technology in that camera um, is, I think it was the Sony A11, one of the brand new Sony that just mm-hmm. came out. But he was saying that not only will it pinpoint where you are, but it will also pinpoint the direction. It has a compass in it, so it'll know what uh, direction right. you were facing in. And I was thinking, well, if it knows that, if it knows those two data points, it knows where I am on the map, it knows direction I'm facing in, it's not that much of a leap for it to know what I'm focused on and how far away that is. <laughs> right? So it, yep. could, it could theoretically drop a pin on the thing that you were shooting rather than where you're standing, yeah. which would be really interesting, right? Love it. Unless you're shooting a cow or something. Right. Unless you're like, why, you know, yeah, you're on infinity, you know, you know, but yep. definitely it'd be really interesting just to, it only takes those three pieces of data to my knowledge to, uh, yeah, well, to pinpoint a location. Uh, no, absolutely. And some of this crazy stuff that I think Microsoft's kind of taken the lead on with uh, sort of recreating 3D environments based on just grabbing photos off of Flickr and other websites is pretty intense. Yeah. Some crazy stuff. All right, on to story number two. I think we just touched on this one. Nikon has refreshed their My Picture Town photo storage and sharing experience and have it enhanced it. Let's see, what did they do to it? It looks like they redesigned the site, um, tweaked the navigation, and added some functionality improvements. Now, I'm a Nikon user, and I have been for quite a while, but I got to say, I've never used <laughs> I've never used Picture Town. I mean, I don't... I don't I just, yeah, I'm kinda, more of a smug mug flicker kind of guy, you know, for, and I don't think of the, ca- maybe, maybe I should d- dive in here deeper, but I don't think of the camera manufacturer when I think of, I want to share my images back. I think of them as you're making the atoms and I'm going to create the pixels and somebody else is going to house them. I don't yeah. Know. I kind of, I kind of look at this as the same thing. You know, when you buy a camera, they'll include some photo management tool and photo manipulation tools, but they're rarely state-of-the-art, and obviously things like this don't necessarily have sort of the community traction that a, a Flickr or a Smug Mug does. Yeah, uh, so I, I, wonder hand, why, you know, I, I wonder why they, you know, yeah, Flickr sure and Smug Mug are gigantic, and they have momentum, and they have communities behind them, and all this stuff, and, you know, why would why just, why just not just put that money towards making better cameras? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I agree, but I'm sure they somebody sees it as, okay, there's a, a market out there of people that have no idea to type Flickr into Google to find out where it is. Yeah. Uh, and this just gives them something out of the box. But, you know, it would seem like it still would make more sense to say, type Flickr into your browser and go there. Yeah, do a business <laughs> development deal with Flickr. Yeah. Ni- you know, yeah. Nik- Nikon teams up with Flickr or SmugMug to create a special area for Nikon users or something. Yep. Yep. You know, I would, I would be more apt to use that than... than this i don't know nicole would you do you i mean you're you're the online uploading photo maven here i mean would you use something like this no i wouldn't well i, I i'm not a nikon shooter of, i used to be but but if it was, was but if it was canon town for example no, I, <laughs> canon town no i i wouldn't because it's so limited to just canon photographers i mean i'm sure that i'm sure that if i i could probably log into nikon and you know, become a member of the Nikon whatever. Because if I wanted to pay, they'd probably let me pay. But I, I'm you know, I use Flickr, um, and I'm really, I really don't do as much Flickr. I've been d- doing more sharing on my blog, like photo sharing on my blog. And yeah. but I do, I still put things on Flickr, especially when it's community related things. You know, like I go to a, a photo walk here in Utah, and we have a group, so every single one of us can put our photos on this free Flickr site. Wait, wait, you know? wait. Where, where's that group online? No, it's just a uh, photo walking Utah. So we have a Got group it. on Flickr. Okay. We use one of that, you know, so we all link our photos to that one thing and it's kind of where we stay connected. Um, and it's, you know, I think, I don't know, I, in my opinion, you know, I think that these, these are probably like this mind picture town. I don't know how long they'll last, you know, because Flickr is so huge and smug mug even is, is pretty big. I think the uh, gist of it, what it boils down to, at least from my perspective is Nikon is a, and Canon, they're powerhouse brands, but they are, for all you know for better for worse they are separate you know and people Mm -hmm. that buy one you know depending on where you are in your mindset in terms of you know my thing is better than your thing they're going to be separate you know Mm -hmm. so by by making a nikon picture town site i see it as kind of taking away just the nikon name on there just takes away from 
like just the art of photography unfortunately yeah. because it's not about the gear it's not about the fact that you shot this photo with a nikon it's about the fact that you got a great shot you know it could be nikon canon olympus sony iphone whatever you got a great shot and by by using more of an egalitarian site like smug mug or Flickr, then you're you know they're not tied to anything so it's more about the photography yeah i don't know ron ron so you have a gallery or two up on Picture Town right now, right? How's that going for you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I do not have a gallery in Picture Town. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I'm I'm primarily a Flickr user. I honestly, I don't consider Flickr to be a particularly great user interface, but the community nature of it, the fact that it sort of has critical mass, is is the thing that keeps me on there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, no offense to Nikon or to the product manager for Picture Town, but you know, <laughs> we call them like we see them. Sorry, it's this week in photo. You know? well. <laughs> All right. Next story up. Uh, just quickly, is it, uh, did you guys get a chance to look at this one? They were talking about mm-hmm. it. Talks about overheating DSLRs. Nicole, you want to yeah. you want to take this one? Well, it's it's basically talking about how uh, DSLRs are different in cam- from camcorders and the fact that they can overheat if you use them for extended periods of time and. It, it specifically talks about the Sony Alpha cameras and the Sony, yeah, I guess all the Sony Alpha cameras. And I think that they have a pretty long, um, what does it say in there? How many minutes it can record? Well, anyway, the Canon, I have two Canon cameras that both shoot video, the 7D and the 60D. And both of them can shoot a max of like 12 minutes when you're shooting HD. Oh. Because at, after it gets to that, you know, it's actually, a, I think it's a, a certain amount of megabytes or gigabytes that it can record and then it stops. Because if, after that, it'll start to overheat. And I don't know. I, I'm just curious. You know, I'd be real curious to see how many people turn their video on and actually shoot for more than 10 minutes at a time. You know, I could yeah. see maybe if you're doing like a, a school play or something that you want to get it. But for little things here and there, really, you don't want more than a couple minutes of video or it gets boring. You know? <laughs> yeah. and I don't know. People- I, would, I would disagree with that uh, just, just from the, the standpoint of what I'm planning to use my D7000 for. And you remember, remember when I was interviewing you, Nicole, with the G9? Oh gosh, yeah. That's, that's yeah, that was like 900 years ago. So that <laughs> that's what I want to use this oh, okay. new Nikon for. Uh, so and yeah. those those interviews typically go about 15, 20 minutes, sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. So I'd want to record the whole thing with the with the DSLR. If it's only going to give me 11 minutes, like I'm reading the the Sony Alpha, what is it, the A55? The manual says the A55 can operate for nine minutes at 68 degrees, and the A33 can do 11 minutes with OIS. Are those, are those recommended times, or are those? I think those are recommended times. Off? It's like it's, you can go this long before bad things happen, or something, right? Yeah, and that's and it is sort of at a certain temperature. So I mean, you know, this this is really nothing new in in some ways because mm-hmm. I've. I've been on movie sets where you know you, you've had to stick the camera in the in the cooler between takes because <laughs> really um, you know the, the air temperature out. yeah not so much for it overheating but the, the characteristics of these sensors change mm-hmm. so you get color shift and you get uh, a lot more noise as it's like doing a long hotter. exposure probably yep, you know, exactly you have your, what it's, so. yeah it, well it's exactly you know even if you do long exposures on your digital camera you'll you'll see more noise in it mm-hmm. yeah well maybe and this is like what we were talking about at the top you know what's the what's the evolution of these sensors maybe this is it you know a, a sensor that can stay on for an hour and and still not get it and give you a degraded image yeah and I, and I think cooling is part of the just like it is part of designing a cpu you know it's one of the it's one of the walls we're sort of running up against with on cpu design is that it's the heat dissipation and the same thing is true for these sensors is you get so much stuff packed into these little things that they're just going to get smoking hot uh which is not good for the image quality so you'll probably see you know water cooled sensors showing up on some of these cameras at some point yeah now nicole are you are you i know iStock will allow you to upload video and they have for some time now are you uploading anything or are you still doing just stills i, I like 99 percent of what i do on iStock is all still photography i have a few videos on there but i really don't i don't put a lot of energy towards it because uh i really want to build up my my photo portfolio i want to focus on that and i i shoot video for fun but i don't i know how to use editing software i know how to do that stuff but i just it's not really my thing i guess you know yeah. Yeah. so I enjoy it. I think it's great. I wouldn't want to buy a camera without it, but it's you want, just like, you want the option to be able I, I to do. do it or not. I definitely yeah. do. And it's, Ron, I know you're not you're not shooting any video right now, are you? No, I don't really have a camera. Well, I mean, my little point and shoot can shoot video, and I, I'll, I'll shoot a little bit of it here and there. Like like when I was walking behind the waterfall or something was an interesting opportunity to shoot video and stick your camera inside of a baggie. Yeah. 
Well, but, Nic- Nicole uh, could probably hook you up with a 60D, right, Nicole? Does <laughs> <laughs> he have like a room full of them sitting around over there? Right, yeah. <laughs> got a spare, please. <laughs> I <laughs> wish. <laughs> yeah, we'll shoot for food. <laughs> Listen to Brinkman. Yeah. <laughs> Get a job. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's that, huh? Exactly. Get a job, Brinkman. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Let's uh, give another nod to one of our sponsors. Um, we're also brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. And uh, like we mentioned, uh, we've been mentioning over the last couple of weeks, they've introduced these things called social widgets. And they've got one, they've got a bunch of them, but a couple of the ones that are I wanted to highlight are there's a Flickr photo display one that'll allow you to embed a Flickr feed into your website in either thumbnail view or slideshow view. They've got a Twitter widget, so you can display the feed from any public Twitter feed on your website and customize it so that it blends into your website. Um, and uh, an iPhone app that allows you to log in, update your website, and approve or reject comments and all that stuff. So uh, Squarespace is coming on strong with some of this you know, innovative kind of next-generation things. It was already a high-tech platform for web publishing that you kind of do three or four clicks and get your website up. But now they're doing all this cool stuff to integrate third-party services like Flickr, Twitter, um, everybody loves the iPhone or most people, a lot of people. Stop the hate mail. Love the <laughs> love the iPhone, um, and uh, you can control it from there. So, if you uh, if you want to get free trial of Squarespace.com, you can get yours by heading over to Squarespace.com forward slash twip t w i p. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out. Build your website. Put all your widgets on there, and if you decide you want to keep it because you love it, you'll get ten percent off for life when you enter the offer code. TWIP. That's squarespace.com forward slash twip. All right, guys, it's time for listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the twip forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum to uh, find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And we've got a couple of good ones. This this week's questions are, the first one is from, from, what is it, KC Purcell in St. Paul, Minnesota. Ron Brinkman, you want to take this one? Yeah, so Casey Purcell writes, uh, I'm curious about how many of you out there still feel limited by their equipment. Uh, says, I realized this month that I'm more into photography than digital cameras. And for what you know, I need, family shots, landscapes, etc., I don't want to lug around an SLR camera. So he downgraded, sold his SLR kit and used a Canon G10 or Panasonic LX5. And again, for, for what this person needs, they feel those are good enough uh, and that they're not limited by those. Uh, and there's other people who have done those, you know, done the same sort of thing. And I think it's, I think it's a, a very valid question. And, you know, and I guess a follow-up question they say is, you know, in a similar vein, have the high-end compacts cameras reached the level uh, where they they are an acceptable replacement for DSLRs, and in some ways, yes. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, and I think touched on it last week too. The sense of you know you don't always want to carry the big camera around with you. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's very valid to have a secondary camera, and for some people, have it be their only camera and not worry about carrying around a big SLR. You know, especially if it's the kind of thing where you're not going to carry it. You know, if if you you leave the house and you're like ah, I just don't feel like lugging this big thing around. Whereas if you had a smaller one, you would. Uh, I think it's you know, be proud of your decision to not uh, to not have a DSLR if that's the decision you make that you know you can get. Because the bottom line is these little cameras that you can buy today are absolutely uh, for almost everything better quality than you know your digital cameras of five or six years ago. Oh my god, yeah, they they you blow know? them out of the water. Yeah, so uh, you know I, you. you there's no question you can take extraordinarily good pictures. Now, there's always going to be reasons to have higher-end gear for specific things. And, you know, I mean, I am always in search of better light-gathering capabilities. Um, but having said that, you know, I'm, I'm seriously considering, okay, if I was to take a long trip uh, and wanted to buy a camera before I went, would I, instead of buying the latest Canon or, or Nikon, consider one of these Micro Four Thirds sort of things that are just noticeably smaller and so much more convenient to carry around. Uh, you would give up certainly some some capabilities, but overall it may be a perfectly valid trade off. Yeah. Now Nicole, you I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guess and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see you 
carrying one of these around because there's a certain megapixel threshold that you need to reach in order to upload images into iStock, correct? So these these smaller cameras probably don't reach that. Is that correct? Well, I actually, it's kind of correct and it's kind of not. I, I kind of separate my photography into two different categories. I have work photography and then I have play photography, you know, like just personal photography. Um, I actually find that uh, when I do, like, I was mentioning earlier, the photo walk community here is really big and we have photo walks. I, I've lately found myself just going with a small camera, no, no grip, you know, just like a 60 D just a small 60 D with a lens, just as one, like a 50 or a 28 millimeter on it. Yeah. And you know, I'll see other people and not, nothing wrong with this at all. Cause I, you know, I have all the same gear that they have. They'll come with two cameras their backpack, a tripod, you know, and they, we all have, we just have different goals. You know, my, my goal is to go and say, okay, I have uh, my, my camera with a 28 millimeter. What can I get with just this setup, you know, and not shooting, not bringing everything to, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but an example is I went to, uh, I went on vacation a few months ago, just out to Disneyland in California. All I brought was my iPhone with me because I didn't want, I knew if I brought a camera, it would be in the way, it would be too big, it'd be too bulky, I'd probably just leave it in the hotel anyways. So I challenged myself to see what could I photograph for fun and not make it work just with my iPhone. And so I've kind of been doing that, you know, with a little bit bigger versions of that because I don't use a point and shoot. That's kind of my point and shoot. But um, but then when I go and I'm doing things that are specifically for iStock, you know, or just or for work or for whatever I'm doing for anything like that, I use my my big equipment. You know, it's my 70 with a grip with a 70 to 200 or whatever. So it's it's just depends on what I want to go, what my my goal is. And I think that it'd be really fun. I've I've used one of those Micro Four Thirds. They're really they're really cool. And it, it kind of challenges you, you know, if you say, I'm only going to bring this because then it kind of, it, it simplifies it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. the, so, that's the, that's the, the, the takeaway right there is when you, when you limit the amount of gear that you have, you maximize how creative you have to be mm-hmm, in order absolutely. to get the better shot. Right. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a good thing. If you, if you went on, if you went out and you always carried a bag full of lenses and your bodies and strobes and all this, automatically your brain's going to be thinking, Hmm, how could I light that? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to put this flash over there. I'm going to use this lens and then you miss the shot. Whereas yeah. if you just had one 50 millimeter lens or, or a fixed, fo- you know, whatever, yeah. you know, you're, you're restricted or constrained and then you're going to think about you're going to think about the subject itself the composition the lighting that's already there how can i maximize what's there instead of thinking about how can i maximize the stuff that's in my bag yeah and now for me it's like i said that's only when i do things for for fun now if i were going if i were hired to do something or if i had a photo shoot i would bring everything because you have to be prepared you know and uh but that's the difference between me you know i i i think photography every single day 24 7 it feels like and i'm always you know out here editing or taking pictures so it's nice to kind of step away from that and just just have fun with it so yep all right um let's move on to question number three it's from richard f all the way in singapore um nicole you want to take this one yeah sure uh richard says i heard a presenter talk about a photo book provider does anyone recommend a quality photo book provider so i can do an album of the kids with all the photos i've taken over the year i'm looking for a high quality cover quality paper options as well as a good arrangement of software to allow multiple layout options and my answer to this and you know there's a lot of them out there but the one that i've actually used that i've experienced with is called blurb b-l-u-r-b blurb.com they have software you can download to you know your computer and you can actually do all the editing offline so you're not like having to go back and forth you know uh through the internet and it's really a pretty quick way to do it you basically edit your whole thing on your computer and then you just upload it to the site and then it prints it for you lots of options on you know sizes covers um now nicole does does blurb i know there's there's lulu and there's blurb are the Mm -hmm. two big ones that i know of but does blurb allow you to uh, upload a book and make it in, and put it in your own little personal store for sale and then generate I revenue. I think so. Yeah, I, I think that's how. I think that's part of it. Cool. I, I never do that. You know, I've I've uh, I've printed a couple things just for my own use, and they're probably out there. Uh, I don't know how long they stay out there, but yeah. I know that like iStock has created a book through Blurb, uh, like a charity book, and they used photos from iStock, and then they sold it through Blurb, and it, all the proceeds went to charity. So oh, you know, they, awesome. they, that's kind of a cool thing that they did. But, um, yeah, I, I really like them. The quality is great. I don't do a lot of that stuff. Uh, but if I do, that's where I, that's, if that's where I'm going to go. So awesome. Brinkman, do you agree with that? Do you, have you made any photo books recently? 
Uh, the only no, nothing recently. The only time I've ever actually done it was when I was working at Apple, and we were testing out the functionality of Aperture yes, uh, to yeah. do that. Because there's a built-in uh, book engine, and that sends. Yeah. What does that send books to? I know it's, it become branded as Apple, but I think they're yeah, using they, Kodak, they, right? They made an arrangement with uh, you know some printer somewhere. Uh, I think it's changed since I was there. Even I think I'm pretty sure it's with Kodak right now. I'm not sure. I'm not. Sure. I'm, I'm not positive. I, I you know I, I suspect they don't want to say anyway. They want it to just be Apple brand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that when it first came out, the publisher or the printer that they were using was actually not that good, and I know that at some point they upgraded. So it's, I, from what I hear, it's actually pretty good quality. Yep. Um, the nice thing about that uh, is that you can do the layout in Aperture, but still save it out as a PDF and send it to some other printer as well. Yeah, uh, or so print you it yourself, right? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So you're not limited to using Apple's probably somewhat expensive service to print this book um and i i'd be willing to bet that somebody like blurb because even blurb uh, this is correct me if i'm wrong but they uh they don't charge you for the software to do the no. book layout it's only that's the printing correct right. yeah yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's right yeah they also so do like indesign stuff so yeah so if you really want to go hardcore in terms of uh formatting the text and doing something mm-hmm. very nice looking Oh, Nicole. Uh, so you could you could design the book in InDesign and then spit out a PDF and upload it. So. Yeah, they have. I, I've never used them before, but they have templates on their website that you can download. Oh, and, sweet! Uh, so, I've, yeah, I've never played around with it. I just know that they they exist. All right. <laughs> so, if you're into InDesign, you know, if that's if that's your thing, then it's probably you're, you're going to enjoy that more. So, absolutely. Yeah, they yeah do. we, we should do a we should do a whole show. I think, or at least part of a show. Um, and maybe get Peach Pit on here to talk about the the whole self publishing movement through companies like Blurb versus traditional publishing like Peach mm-hmm. Pit versus ebook publishing like David Dushman is doing with his craftandvision.com site and all that kind of stuff and get our brain around what does it mean to photographers. You know? Yeah, uh, I think it's an excellent topic, and there you know there are good reasons to go with you know traditional existing uh, publishing companies they they actually kind of know what they're doing in a lot of cases um <laughs> but on the other hand you know the self-publishing route is not a bad way to go and, and the bottom line is you can get very high quality stuff if you know what you're doing yeah. a lot of people just haven't really mm-hmm. been exposed to all the minutiae of doing typography and layouts and that sort of thing and so you can see a lot of bad stuff that's self-published as well yeah yeah well just like anything else right yep all right, we're we're down to the point on the show where each gift or each guest, each gift, <laughs> each you guys are gifts. You are gifts. You are gifts. You are gifts. Where each gift gives their pick of the week, <laughs> and a pick can be anything. It can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography related. And Nicole, you want to go first? Yeah, I've I've mentioned it several times throughout the podcast today, but the Canon 60D is my pick. Uh, I purchased one about the day, as early as you could get them. I think I had one in my hands. I think I was one of the first people uh, to t- blog or Twitter about it or anything. Um, it, it's a cool camera. It's it's like a – I have a 70 already, so I had a lot of questions of why did I get the 60D, and the reason is because I'm writing a book on it. So, <laughs> yes, I did buy the camera. I didn't get one for free, just so everyone knows. Oh, really? Um, oh. Yeah, I had to, I have to pay for it. <laughs> uh, but uh, – it's an awesome camera. It's really fun. It has the articulating screen. That's probably one of the coolest features on it. Um, I mean, there's some things that it doesn't have that I'm used to with the 7D, but it's 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 a less expensive camera. And um, but I, I use it a lot. I'll be honest. I've, I've used it like every every time I've been taking pictures. I've been using my 60D. Uh, it's smaller. You know, I put a small lens on it, so I just kind of take it around and do snapshots and. Uh, Photos of friends. Uh, I used it on a photo shoot a few weeks ago. Uh, it's like a size of second body. So, yeah, is it's it, a really is, it, camera. is it uh, noticeably smaller than the seventy? It's oh, uh, it's not like it's not like holding like a Canon Rebel. Those are mm-hmm. those are incredibly small compared to the seventy. But I don't really feel like I don't feel like I'm holding anything tiny. You know, I don't have I don't have a grip on it. So of course, you know, I, I, I when I use my seventy, I almost always have a you know the, the battery grip attached to the bottom. Yeah, right. So that, of course, is making to make it smaller. But yeah, that's kind of what I worry about with a with the D seven thousand is that it's my my hands are used to the the D seven hundred and the D three, and I'm wondering is a smaller body going to just feel too small in my hands? I don't know. So, and you're saying the sixty D doesn't feel that way, Nicole? It doesn't feel really really small. I mean, it is a little bit smaller. Uh, I haven't, you know, I, I should put them side by side and take a picture of it because I know I've, I've had other people ask me that. Um, but you know, I kind of I like the fact that it's smaller because it's kind of my walk around, 
you know, bring to random places, you know, not have it all geared up for photo shoots camera. It's, uh, I'd recommend it to anyone. You know, I, I think it's, I, I, I wouldn't get rid of my 7D and solely use the 60D. I will, I'll say that, but, um, I, I, I love it. So very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that. All right. Next up is Mr. Ron Brinkman and Ron, yours, yours has something to do with talcum powder or something, right? <laughs> Yes. Oh gosh. Thank you, Frederick. Of course. I'm uh, just I'm just setting Frederick's it up for you. I've been laughing about my pick ever since I put the word dry sack <laughs> on the web page that we use. It's just too rich. We're not gonna go there. It's too late. I'm We're already there, my friend. A product that you would use when you're traveling that keeps your camera gear dry. They happen to be called dry sacks. Um, this is not actually- <laughs> so juvenile. I can't even stop laughing. <laughs> Grow up. I'm trying. I'm trying. Because the rest of us are such adults here. <laughs> I know. Right? Nicole's in tears over there. I can see it. <laughs> uh, yes, my pick happens to be, uh, I recommend getting a good dry sack. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the title of the show. No, there's, uh, I, I, I have, these, you can buy these on Amazon or outdoor places all it is is it's it's a small sort of a gear bag kind of thing that is designed to be waterproof uh not like you know take it scuba diving with you waterproof but uh very good if it, if you tend to get wet and you know when i'm traveling around i've been in a lot of situations where you know the weather's not cooperating or uh you know you're next to the water or the river or something like that uh and just having something that you can sort of feel like you can stick your camera into it uh and and know that it's not going to get wet is a is a nice little comfort factor and they they Crunched down to be very, very small, so it's an easy thing to toss into uh, into your luggage and just have around should the weather happen to turn. Uh, we'll put a link up onto the website to the ones I have. Um, it's from a company called Outdoor Products, but they're all about the same. Uh, and what do they what do they run price wise? Oh, they're pretty cheap. You know, like uh, depending on the size, anywhere from fifteen to thirty bucks, kind of thing. Gotcha. Very yeah. cool. I think we have a title for the show. I think it's going to be Small Sensors, Dry Sacks, and Crack Smoking. That's that's that's, that's going to be our title. It's absolutely going to increase our demographics. <laughs> exactly. We're going to disappoint a lot of people. Shifted to the left down into the gutter. No, of course. I won't name the show that. We'll name it something more pedestrian. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Ron. My, my pick of the week is a site called Mac Pro Video. So if you're into lynda.com or kelbytraining.com type on you know online learning stuff, uh, you may not have heard of Mac Pro Video, but they are amazing. They've got lots of on-screen tutorials that you can sort of run through at your own leisure. It's very cool, very slick, and uh, I would suggest checking them out. They're not expensive. Um, and you know, play around with it and learn some stuff. So, I just recently discovered them not too long ago, and between them, I'm I'm a member of Lynda.com and Kelby Training. So, you know, between the three of them, I can generally find what I'm looking for if there's there's some technique or something I need to learn. I've been using KelbyTraining.com. I give a nod to them because, like I mentioned on the show before, there they do. Just the the production quality of their stuff is just over the top. It's awesome. The Joe McNally uh, stuff is my favorite, and it he goes behind the scenes. He's got a cameraman with him showing you stuff. You've got uh, Matt Klaskowski there doing on screen Photoshop stuff. It's just you know if you can't afford to go to workshops, definitely plunk down a couple of dollars and and uh, take some training online. All right, we're at the end of the show. We need some. We need some sad end of the show music to play at this time. So. Sad trombone, <laughs> like wah wah wah. Um, <laughs> Nicole, where where can folks find you online? Oh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Nicolesy, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y, and I also blog pretty frequently at nicolesyblog.com. Awesome. So best place to find me. Very cool. And Mr. Ron Brinkman, where are you at? Uh, Twitter is the best place these days. Just Ron Brinkman. All right. And are you are you twittering a lot, or do you have a cobweb Twitter feed? Uh, I twittering occasionally. Right. I try to keep it to incredibly uh, powerful gems of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> so that means you never tweet then. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Got it. But you know, it's a, it's a fair question. I'm one of those twitters where you can. Uh, not fear following me because I will be putting a fire hose of crap through your uh, Twitter reader. <laughs> gotcha. It's, uh, it, it's a fairly low bandwidth. 
I, I appreciate that. Yeah, because Ooh, we should have a race for Twitter followers, Ron. Uh oh, I've just looked at your thing. What what Ron, what is Ron at right now? He's at fifty six. Fifty total. Fifty six hundred. Fifty six hundred. Oh, okay, nice. Very cool. Just 56. Oh, Frederick, you've got just fifty six. <laughs> Frederick's done the the Mac break for a while, and and how much did uh, that pick yeah. up your uh, your follower count? Oh man, it just goes insane whenever whenever I'm I'm within the same grid spot with with Leo Laporte. It you yeah. know it just it goes up crazily. So yeah, I'm at ten something right now. I think mine's kind of stagnated, but that's fine. It's not the size of the Twitter follower count. <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's the quality of the people that are following you. Exactly. And, all right. All mine have dry sacks. <laughs> see, you see, you had to take it back there. I was trying to clean it up, and you brought it back down. They're high quality, then, right? Because they know how to take exactly. care of their gears. Uh-huh. Their gears. <laughs> Nicole, I'm going to save you from this by ending the show. <laughs> so. All right, TWIP listeners, sorry for the digressions. If you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and so much more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.